0: You're listening to Solar Insiders, the fortnightly podcast that shines the light on the world's biggest energy source. Solar Insiders is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy, and Sophie Vorath, the editor of One Step Off The Grid. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high resolution solar proposals in minutes. And Next tracker, delivering the most advanced solar tracking technology and the highest performing solar assets in the country
1: hello and welcome to this latest episode of the solar insiders podcast my name is giles parkinson i'm the editor of renew economy and its associated website the ev focus the driven and joining me as usual is renew economy deputy editor and one step off the grid editor sophie varath how are you sophie i trust you are well (laughs)
2: i'm well thank you giles
1: Yeah, no, great. Um, Look, quite a lot to talk about um, in the uh, solar space over the last couple of weeks. There's been some interesting developments and renewed focus, particularly on the rooftop solar market and um, the orchestration of the market, the storage and how it can help fill in the gap of the um, impending retirement of the country's biggest coal generator, Araring. But first of all, I'd like to bring an interview that I did with Richard Payne, the CEO of Raygen, which is an Australian technology company, been developing concentrated solar PV over the last well several decades actually, and this or last week formally opened its sort of first sort of commercial I guess you could say commercial scale facilities. Quite small, four megawatts, but fifty-one megawatt hours of storage and. Therein lies the key to this technology, Uh, concentrated solar kind of sidelined by the huge impact of conventional PV. And this company now has found a way to roll out this technology competitively priced and possibly solve, provide a solution to the riddle of low cost deep storage. Anyway, I was invited out to at the opening of this plant in Car Warp in um, Western Victoria last week. And uh, this is an interview I got as I was walking around the facility with the CEO, Richard Payne. Well, I'm out at uh, the locality or the village of Car Warp, uh, Neil Muldura in Victoria at the opening of quite a landmark solar and storage project in, in, in Australia. It's a world leading solar. Thermal Storage Technology and I'm joined by Raygen CEO Richard Payne. Richard, thanks very much for joining the podcast. Thank you very much, Giles. It's a pleasure to be here today with you. It's a pretty special day for you because you're opening your first demonstration plant with this quite unique Australian technology and it's been quite a journey.
3: It has been a very, uh, very significant journey and we're very proud today to be opening this plant.
1: We are standing. It's quite remarkable, actually. It's a a bit of a cold morning. Um, The opening ceremony is happening later. We're standing in a field of heliostats, which are kind of mirrors, which are reflecting light onto these four solar towers. Sort of. I mean, they're almost like we're sort of um, sort of talking about almost sort of like sort of religious statues in the distance. There. It's. I feel like I'm standing in a garden, but I also feel like I'm standing in something quite special as well.
3: (laughs) Indeed. Yeah, so we've got four towers, um, so four megawatts in total, so each tower a megawatt. And the field of heliostats or mirrors that we have, which are tracking the sun, um, are concentrating that light up onto those towers. And within those towers, we're uniquely generating both electricity and thermal energy in the form of hot
1: water. Yeah, so look, let's just get to the tower a bit and the electricity. So solar towers we've kind of heard about for a while now. So sort of, you know the idea of getting mir- mirrors reflecting sunlight intensely into a receiver. Now these ones are quite interesting because they're not as tall as some of the grand ones thought about in the past. Um, you've got basically these heliostats, which are mirrors which are automatically controlled to direct the sunlight during the day onto the receiver. But tell us, why aren't these towers hugely big? Because I expect them to be about 100 metres high, but they're probably what, how? 45 metres high. 45 metres high. And what makes these ones special? Because it's not your conventional solar thermal here. We're talking about something called concentrated solar PV. Correct. So,
3: exactly. So, we've taken... We look like a a, a typical sort of CSP plant in that we have this field of heliostats tracking the sun. Mm but we also take technology from the PV industry where atop the tower, we have a photovoltaic module, which I'm holding in my hand, I can't show you, but this module is 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters, and it uses multi-junction cells as used in the satellite industry. And these cells are twice the electrical efficiency of a normal silicon PV panel, but they can operate in that concentrated light up to a thousand times the concentration of a single sun. So as that beam of light, which is being tracked, hits this array of modules, we're directly converting that light into electricity, so a megawatt of electricity and two megawatts of thermal energy because we need to keep those cells cool. So that module of 10 centimetres by 10 centimetres is generating two and a half kilowatts of electricity and five kilowatts of thermal energy, which is incredible. So that beam of light is strong enough to melt steel We run it at 95 degrees.
1: It's quite extraordinary, really, because you're holding a a, a thing, and literally it's in the palm of your hand, and it's 2.5 kilowatts, which would be about the same as most panels on on, on people's rooftops. Exactly
3: right. And the best thing is that RayGen has developed this core technology here in Australia, and we're now in the process of commissioning the largest solar module manufacturing facility at 170 megawatts per annum. In Melbourne's inner
1: east, that's quite remarkable. Because I just want to sort of hover just on this on this, um, this 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 piece of PV thing, 2.5 kilowatts held in your hand. I mean, my question was to you before is that well, why don't normal s- solar panels just? operate like this with just, you know, why can't we, why can't a household just have 10 of these on the roof and you could probably put a million on them on? But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's a good
3: question. So whilst they're twice the efficiency, they're, you know, they're probably a hundred times the cost for that cell. But where we take advantage of it is that this cell can operate in that concentrated light. So being a thousand times to, or 2000
1: times more powerful than the concentrated light. Right. Right, and that's really part of the journey about where RayGen has become because this technology, I think your first concentrated solar PV was probably unveiled about sort of 13, 14 years ago, back to 2010. And you're basically your path has been, well, how do we actually exploit that technology in a way? And you've kind of done a whole bunch of different things. It used to be collected in big, um, um, what do you call them, those... Um, Oh, the, yeah, the, the
3: previous technology that our founder also established was a dish technology. And then John Lassick, Dr. John Lassick, founded the um, RayGen in 2010 with this heliostat-type technology and then the, the tower-based um, photovoltaic module. And so in in 2014, we, we built, like, the first field of those mirrors and, and the tower in a place called Bendigo, in Bendigo. And that technology is still running today. And that's really been um, the proving ground. That's really been the proving ground for the core technology of the module and the heliostat. So it was found that the technology was really founded to generate the lowest cost solar renewable energy. And we are on track to do that with the generation side. What we really saw in the market was that the value of electricity in the middle of the day from PV was decreasing. Um, and so that is when we pivoted to look
1: at how could we use this technology to also create a storage product. And so what's quite and that's what's quite used about this is what you've done with this storage. And we'll start walking through the, um, this field of heliostats now. This feels like it does feel like a garden with these huge mirrors, <laughs> um, and really because yeah, as you said before, the intense light that falls on those p those concentrated PV cells. It's incredibly efficient. You're capturing 38%, I think, or you've got a 38% efficiency, but there's still a lot of heat created, so twice as much heat as as, as electricity generated, and you have worked out a way to actually capture that heat and store it and then use it to be able to put back into the grid. Exactly. So the... We have developed this module,
3: not only for the electrical efficiency, but the thermal efficiency. So over many years, we've been developing a a really highly efficient heat sink that's attached effectively to the cells. And at the base of each tower, we have a very simple cooling skid, which is circulating water up and down the tower on a continuous basis and extracting that thermal energy as we're generating electricity at the same time. And so in doing that, Raygen was really we were looking at ways to effectively monetize that heat because a normal um, solar pv field that heat is hitting the panels and it's lost to the atmosphere Whereas we are hitting the field of mirrors, and that we're concentrating that heat uh, as well as the um, generation of electricity in the in the receiver.
1: So you're capturing that heat. Then how are you storing it, and how that's being, how's that being then sent back into the grid? Because it's sort of, um, I've I've had trouble getting my mind around this. sort of the idea of just sort of water storage. I've just sort of all the things that to do. Then that doesn't seem to make make much sense. But but apparently it does. It does make sense. Exactly.
3: Yeah. It, and it is it is something that's quite challenging to to wrap your head around. So. Effectively, during the middle of the day, as we're generating this heat, we're sending it through a buried pipe into what we call a pit thermal energy store. And this is a a large excavated dam, which is lined with a polymer. It's insulated and it's covered. So there's no water loss and it's very efficient in retaining heat. So it's actually... Um, taken from the district heating um, technology from Northern Europe, where they collect solar hot water in the summer and they dispatch it through the district heating network in the winter. And so we've leveraged off that technology. So we store this thermal energy, this 90 degree water in this hot pit, um, and then we use that to run an organic Rankine cycle turbine. Which is pretty conventional technology. Very conventional technology. So that comes from the geothermal industry where about four gigawatts have been deployed. Um, and that thermal energy is then converted back into electricity. So when the sun is
1: set, we then use that heat to generate electricity. And that's your value proposition now. So you've now found a way to use this very special solar PV technology, which kind of got derailed a bit by the falling cost of conventional PV and that was just deployed everywhere. And you've found a way through this storage system to add value to that output. So what you're now talking about is not just storage, but you're also talking about incredibly lengthy storage. You're talking, I mean, it's 17 hours of storage at this facility. Is that going to be the standard for the future much bigger projects? (laughs) Yes,
3: yeah, so this, as you mentioned, this is seventeen hours of storage. It's um incredible and it's just water um, as a storage medium. So no rare earths, um, no um, no degradation, um, and then <clears throat> we we typically can size it um, you know to twenty four hours or forty eight hours because in the end the the marginal cost of the storage of adding additional hours is very low. It's simply digging a bigger hole and adding more water. How big are these holes? So, in this case, this is 17 megalitres. Um, so, we have a hot pit where we store the, the, the thermal energy, but we also have a cold pit. Let me explain that. So, what we're basically doing is where we have a, an industrial chiller which is using either PV um, electricity from our system or can source. Um, electricity from the grid and that's that chiller is highly efficient because it's it's effectively taking um, the cold water from the pit at sort of 17 degrees and turning it into zero degree water and then we use that also in the, the organic Rankine cycle turbine to effectively increase the thermal efficiency and it's acting as a as part of the battery in terms of us taking electricity and storing it in the middle of the day
1: It's interesting, yeah. So, how would you sort of describe this? I mean, I kind of, I mean, you. I think a year or two ago, you described this as like solar hydro storage, or is it solar thermal storage? I'm not too sure where you're going to land on this.
3: (laughs) It's it's had a few names. We call it RayGen We call it solar plus storage. Um, So, I think that the 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 beauty of this technology is really on the storage side, in particular, is we're really bringing together. Um, industrial off-the-shelf components, organic rank and cycle turbines, chiller systems, and the pit Thermal Energy Store. It's a, it's a unique integration of those components, um, but it's driving um, a really low cost storage solution. And of course, all the engineers out there will be, will be thinking, you know, the 90 degree temperature difference, which is driving the ORC is a very low in terms of thermal efficiency, and they're right it is low in thermal efficiency, but it's very high in electrical efficiency because we've only used electricity to create the cold energy. We have used no electricity to generate the thermal energy. And so when we talk about round-trip efficiency of our system, we talk about putting a megawatt into the chiller and then the ORC will dispatch 0.7 megawatts to the grid. And this is a 70% round-trip efficiency, which is equivalent to
1: pumped hydro. And so one of the issues with these projects, and we've seen this with solar thermal technologies over the last decade or so, is that they all sound like fantastic ideas and they look beautiful and they kind of work really well, but it's a competitive world out there. You're dealing with all sorts of different levels of storage, batteries, pumped hydro, compressed air or some other things. So how well is this technology now placed to, to, to compete out there in the wide world? Yeah, I, look, I, in the next projects, we, we are on track
3: to deliver the, the lowest cost firmed and dispatchable electricity because for the generation side, we are already in the next project will be cost competitive with PV. And that reason why we can say that is because we use a lot less material, like special material, no polysilicon, have four square metres of, of module is generating a megawatt of electricity. And then we have low cost steel and mirrors to collect the energy. And then on the storage side, we're, at, we're going to outcompete pumped hydro without the constraints that pumped hydro has. So we can install in typical You see here this land, it's quite a bit undulating. Um, it's flat. We don't need a height to, to
1: create our potential energy difference. It doesn't, look like you, it doesn't look like you need much more than a bulldozer. You don't have to drill any tunnels or anything like that, do underground pumping stations and things? No, we don't.
3: Um, and if you see the heliostats here, they're simply pile-driven. Um, this is really part of our core technology is that these heliostats are self-powered. They're wireless, so there's no field trenching or anything. It's just a simple pile-driven. They're assembled on site and installed with... You know, a a spanner.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting thing because it it sounds like it's like a true sort of engineering solution and I guess that might speak to the nature of your shareholders. You've got some pretty big-name shareholders. You've got AGL in Australia. You've got Chevron. You've got Equinor. You've got Schlumberger, which is now SLB or something like that. They're kind of all people who are used to sort of making things and operating things. They're not financial investors, Mm -hmm. but they're they're, they're people who, I guess, understand engineering is, is that a fair assessment of why they're there? Yeah, I think that is a, it's a
3: great assessment. Um, so when we really pivoted to, to this storage technology, we, and I get part of the journey was taking this out to the market. Um, and certainly one of the earlier investors was also Photon Energy. Um, and then um, AG, we took this to AGL. And as, as a group of engineers in, in RayGen, We looked at the the storage technology and said, this is how we should best configure this to to make the most amount of revenue. And of course, we took that to AGL and said, can you please provide the voice of the customer into this technology? And that was invaluable. And that's what AGL ended up investing into the company. And then also they have the the commercial offtake with this plant here.
1: Um, uh, they must have been a little bit so' um, sort of skeptical because they've had their own solar thermal technology already You come to Liddell and I think it was sort of something was built there but never actually switched on it was a, it was designed to sort of you know add a bit more steam to the boilers at Liddell but I don't think it was ever really used so when someone like you comes along with that other technology saying yeah um, you know um, <laughs> yeah I mean it's a, it's
3: a it's a journey right like it, you have to be able to communicate what the technology is and and how it's performing etc and then also the demonstration of it so the the core technology that we're standing in this field of has been proven for many years um, in bendigo um, and then the storage technology as said is kind of bringing together those off-the-shelf components and that's that's where the other strategic investors also came into the round so you mentioned them with equinor chevron and then slb and slb is a is an enormous engineering company hundred thousand people And they understood the technology and the opportunity of it like the other investors. Yes, I remember actually
1: teaching some of the engineers at Schlumberger English when I was living in Paris about sort of 40 years ago. So I don't know whether any of them are actually involved now. But look, um, the next big project, and and you're going to leap from this is like three megawatts 50 megawatt hours the next one by comparison is going to be huge and it looks like it's going to be a project on the air peninsula in south australia 200 megawatts of solar plus um will you expand the rest of it <laughs> yeah so yeah it's 200, 200
3: megawatts of solar um it'll be 115 circa of grid connection um so that'll be effectively four organic rank and cycle turbines um around 30 30 megawatts each. And <clears throat> The reason why... How much storage? There's 1.2 gigawatt hours of storage. Um, and so...
1: <laughs> I, 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 I have to clarify that because because every time I put megawatts in a story and I don't put megawatt hours, and I get a couple of old engineers, possibly the ones I taught English to uh, 40 years ago, who sort of say, you don't know anything about storage because it's got to be megawatt hours. I just wanted to point that out. So. <laughs> <laughs> Very good.
3: I understand. <laughs> yeah, and, and the reason why we can scale so rapidly is because... In, in terms of these fields here, we've got a megawatt tower and field, and we don't go to larger towers. We just replicate what we have here. We we've taken the lessons learned from this project to drive the cost out. We've got support from arena and the stakeholders to, to, to undertake, you know, the design, further design optimization and um, in, increasing automation, for example, of the Heliostat assembly line. Um, and then in, this, in terms of the storage, yes, the pits get bigger, so it's a bigger excavation. But then we take advantage of the economies of scale. So the ORC turbine, in this case here, comes from Atlas Copco. For future project, Which in this turbine here is 2.8 megawatts. We then go to a 30 megawatt turbine, so 10 times the scale, but the, the cost is a lot lower than that.
1: So just to make that clear then, so these megawatt towers are 45 metres high, just one megawatt each. So if you're going to have a 10, 200 megawatt array, you're going to have 200 of these towers. That's exactly right. Okay. And that's going to be a lot of mirrors. Yeah. It's a, but the collector
3: area is still lower than a typical silicon PV plant um, because the, um, the electrical efficiency of our system is twice that of, of a typical PV field. And it feels like a garden. Um, can you actually have sheep or sort of multi use? You absolutely can. Um, so in Bendigo, we have sheep that are grazing underneath the heliostat field. Um, now that we have successfully reached commissioning complete of this plant, we will then be bringing sheep in given the construction period is over and the commissioning phase
1: is over. Mm. Now, um, we mentioned AGL before and we talked about Liddell. They've actually got plans for Liddell. Um, I don't know whether they've been finalised yet, but what do you hope or or would would hope to see or or what do you understand that their plans might be?
3: Yeah, so we have announced with with AGL that we're um, undertaking a a project feasibility study at Liddell. Um, So we're really excited about that. It's a fantastic site, obviously a great grid connection, water source for our pits, Um, and so we're in the process of undertaking that feasibility study now. Okay. And what about sort of
1: Equinor and um, Chevron? Um, I mean, I, I guess they're not just in there just for the fun. They probably might be wanting to roll it out somewhere um, in their portfolio. Yeah,
3: definitely. And as, as is SLB. So, um, I mean, you'll have an opportunity later today, Giles, to actually speak with all of the stakeholders. They're all here, um, including the executives. So, um, But, yeah, they're, they're certainly um, – their investment in, in RayGen has been um, pivotal. So um, they're not only on the looking at opportunities for um, project delivery, but also on the technology development, supporting us through challenges through the construction and commissioning phase of this. Um, have obviously strengthened our board as well. So Equinor and, and SLB have joined the board. AGL, Photon, Chevron, Arena are all observers to the board. So it's a very tight knit um, group, and and. It's it's a fabulous outcome from our Series C round. Yeah, uh, the Series C
1: round, which was held, um, um, how much did you raise then?
3: So that was 55 million in total.
1: That's a fair amount. You've also got a fair amount of support from Arena, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, and I think uh, they're announcing today another 10 million dollars or 15 million. 10 million. $10 million to sort of help with the further commercializations so and drive the cost down and do some of that, those studies, those at least sort of, um, sort of um, first studies for this next big project.
3: Yes, that's right. So, look, uh, we can't say enough about ARENA. Um, they've been just a tremendous supporter. I think their first investment was way back in 2012, really supported along the journey. Um, critically, of course, always co-investing with um, private investment.
1: Because um, they've actually taken you through all the different iterations of this technology, you know, some of which ended up going down what turned out to be a, um, a, a blind path, really.
3: Well, they've really, they've really um, pushed us along in terms of the, um, this core technology. So their first investment was all around deployment of this technology you see here, the first iteration of this in Bendigo, um, and then successful iterations of that. We expanded the plant in 2018, and they backed that in. Um, and then also the deployment of this project, the feasibility of the project, and then the execution of the project was backed by ARENA. So along the journey, they've been very supportive around, in, you know, validating the technology and driving the cost out.
1: So how long will it take before we actually see this deployed on a truly commercial large scale? I mean, the like South Australian project and other ones, are we sort of are we two, three, four, five years away?
3: No, we're looking to reach financial close in that in sort of the next 12 months. So it's well progressed in in South Australia. Um, So we're progressing on the grid connection studies, the development um, approval process, you know, the land's been secured um, and we're working very closely with um, Worley on the front end engineering design, which is also
1: part of the arena funding that is to be announced today. The um, the journey of any project coming to fruition, um, you know, whether it be like a simple you know solar solar farm or, 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 or a wind farm or, or whatever, it is it is quite satisfying. But to come to this sort of point where you sort of reach this journey and you've just gone through all these iterations of these technology and sort of gone down and all that development, I mean, there must and and you what you've got here is something quite unique, not just in Australia but just in the world, and it's an extraordinary looking um, setup. Um, it um, well, it must be yeah, it must be a proud
3: moment. I'm am very proud. Um, you know, obviously we've had fantastic support from private shareholders and the strategic investors, um, but I'm incredibly proud of the Raygen team. Um, they've just it's been an exemplary performance. And you you have to be resilient, you have to be talented, you have to do a lot of things in developing a hardware technology. It's not easy, um, but the team's just been been
1: remarkable. Yeah, no, It's fantastic. It really is impressive. We're just sitting here actually quite surrounded by the mirrors. The mirrors here, they're, they're quite high. Um, and I hate to report one of them's got some bird shit on it. But uh. <laughs> That just goes
3: to show, Giles, that we
1: live very happily with the, uh, with the bird life here
3: in, in Car Warp. Um, yeah, they're 20 square metres um, with a joint to a two-axis drive, which is tracking the sun, as you can see. It's accurately tracking it throughout the day and the year. And, uh, again, that's really part of our core technology
1: so, yeah, yeah, it's just sort of gently moving, following the sun from, from, from rise to fall.
3: Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's fully automated. So, they just wake up in the morning when the sun's above the horizon and, and track the
1: sun throughout the day and the year. And, and, and the and, and the light from those towers is really quite intense. We shouldn't be looking at it directly, but um, it's just an incredible amount. Just just, just remind us how, how much the intensity, I mean, how much power or whatever it is, however you measure that.
3: The way to kind of think about it is the concentration compared to a single sun. So at the moment there, um, given the the sun intensity, the sun's still quite low in the sky, but we're probably around 650 times the power of a, of a single sun. So... That beam will melt steel, no problem at all if it was not cooled. Of course, we've put all the safety etc in place to, to ensure that doesn't happen um, and it's really been part of the validation process.
1: Okay, we've just come over to the, in- the turbine installation here. So, um, we're behind the towers now and we've got the... Um, Will you explain to me, what, what, what are we looking at? So we're looking at an organic Rankin-Cycle
3: turbine, as typically used in geothermal, um, and it's using the, the thermal energy to create that electricity. And one of the benefits of this technology is that it, it is a spinning mass. So it provides synchronous generation with natural inertia. So for the grid, this really strengthens the grid
1: health. And that's actually quite interesting because we're actually out here in what uh, Renew Economy dubbed a few years ago the uh, the rhombus of regret. So if you wanted to add a conventional solar plant
3: out here, you'd actually have difficulties. Correct, exactly. There's real challenges to connect and we obviously managed to connect and the grid operators really like this. This technology actually brings a lot of advantages from that perspective. Not only natural inertia and synchronous generation, but the other thing that is Uh, a huge advantage of our technology
1: is that we can import other renewable energy sources. And that's really interesting too, so when you're talking about projects of like a significant scale, the fact that it does have those synchronous and those inertia qualities in a way that sort of, you know, a conventional engineer might understand it rather than sort of inverter based technology, then um, that's going to be a benefit. Exactly,
3: and so we can also, for the next project we'll include a a clutch mechanism, so that means the asynchronous inverters can be used as, it will act as a
1: syncon, so we'll provide all of the inertia that's needed for the grid. Okay, and we've seen some big sort of, um, um, oh, I don't know what you call them there, sort of reservoirs over there. What's that? Is that the sort of that, that looks like it's got water marked on it? So I'm going, to, I'm going to make the big assumption that's a water tank.
3: <laughs> yes, there's a, so we do some pretty, pretty nifty things with the technology. So, um, for example, when we do the, the chiller cycle, that chiller generates heat. And we actually capture some of that heat and reuse it in the process to actually enhance the the thermal efficiency of the turbine. Okay. And there's something weird about these
1: little uh, reservoir here. It's got empty on the top and full on the bottom. I, have you? Is there been a big mistake here, or there's something I'm not understanding? <laughs> no, it's it's um. This is around how
3: do we. Um, send the water back to and from our hot pit so the hot pit thermal energy storage system it's a pretty unique technology it has diffusers in the top and the bottom which um, controls how the the energy is delivered to the to the pit and what we don't want to do is create mixing Um, and so we actually when the temperature is off so it's off by a few degrees we buffer it we store it and then we wait till it hits temperature and then
1: put it into the hot pit and just one observation we're just seeing some of the, one of the workers over here sort of cleaning up around them. He's actually riding like a, a bicycle rickshaw type thing It's pretty pretty nifty,
3: correct. yes <laughs> we try to avoid using vehicles if we can help it and also you know obviously quite uh, a fitness a fitness benefit as well and he's just
1: spoil the effect completely by turning on the leaf blower but uh, but there you go, okay. <laughs> We're now at the storage tank facilities, and um, it's getting a bit windy, so apologies for the wind noise. Um, but Richard, explaining what we've got here, we've basically got some holes in the ground covered with what looks like um, well, something a bit more grander than my swimming pool cover at home, but, um, but tell us what it is. Yeah, so we're
3: standing on top of the pit thermal energy store, in this case the hot pit. Um, so it is, um, the pit construction is, for want of a better phrase, it's an inverted py- truncated pyramid so it slopes down a flat bottom and then rises back up again and it's really well insulated and the lid um, is basically floating on top of the water it's sealing the water in um, and it's probably about 300 millimetres thick of insulation and polymer liner, um, so we don't lose any water. Um, and it's kind of like walking on a on a hot water bed or something. Or a water- <laughs> and,
1: and, and 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 you're convincing me that this is actually safe to do. So should we? Should we, we give it a go? <laughs> Absolutely, let's do it, Giles. <laughs> so we're walking, and it is actually like, it is actually like walking on a water bed. It's,
3: uh, it is very much like that. Um, and you can imagine that you think about the, the um, technology from, a, from a, a cost perspective then. So we just, for larger projects, the whole gets bigger and deeper yeah. um, but we you know it's it's a cut and fill which means we don't remove any soil We build up the walls around the site so we don't bring in any soil or don't send any soil off site which is also good from an emissions perspective um so, and so how big would this pit have to be for a 200 megawatt facility for instance yeah so it will scale up to sort of you know 150 megalitres so this is 17 megalitres um the the largest pits i think in denmark we're talking about sort of 270 megalitres is not unusual um in china they're also doing this with the digital networks as well but the, in their their case they're kind of at a thousand megalitres so it's a proven technology okay so, so do they just get deep or do they get wider or both the, yeah both so they can get a bit deeper um and then of course the, the area it takes is proportionally less because um as a, as a pyramid um the bigger area it means the volume is proportionally
1: larger. Okay, well, let's move on to the next bit now because I'm not feeling entirely comfortable standing on this waterbed, <laughs> but um, anyway. <laughs> um. So we've just, um, we've just moved away now from the hot pit, and we can just see over the other side of the generation our, our ensemble the, the, the cold pit. Um, for the people out there, when and probably for my benefit too, just kind of explain to me just this, you know, how this works, the sort of temperature difference between sort of hot and cold, and, um, and how we should think about that.
3: Yeah, so the hot pit is stored at 90 degrees, and the cold pit at zero degrees. Um, and so a 90 degree temperature difference actually represents an enormous amount amount of potential energy. If we think about this in pumped hydro terms, it's equivalent to pumped hydro, these two bodies of water being separated by a
1: kilometre gives you the same amount of energy. And, and that's quite interesting because when people the experts talk about pumped hydro they say that you need like this sort of difference between I think some of them I think it's 600 meters or something like that to, to be able to get the maximum efficiencies to sort of make it like profitable or competitive. So this sounds like it's more than that. And look, there's another question I should ask you too because uh, we've just seen a black kite just sort of fly over um, your sort of field of heliostats. And I guess one of the questions is, um, and one of the big criticisms of the original big solar thermal plants, the huge ones that were built in, in California, for instance, in Nevada, that they basically incinerate birds, you know, the sunlight and stuff like that. Have you had any problems here? No,
3: we've had zero problems with that. Um, and I'm very conscious of that because I happen to be a, a twitcher for the last 25 years, so very keen on the, on the bird watching. Um, so in, since 2014 we've been operating plants in Bendigo, um, zero bird incidents and, and same here since the last year of, of exporting PV. Um, so technology is very different to that, that, the towers are relatively small, you know, only 45 metres, and the concentration is only really at the focal point at the receiver entrance. And so we see birds that sort of in the area, um,
1: but they've never go, go into the beam. But they centre, like the thermals um, rising from the mirrors and things.
3: Correct, and hence it comes back to you mentioning about there being uh, bird poop on the
1: mirrors, you see quite a bit of it, so they're very happy here. <laughs> okay, and, and you're a bit of a twitcher then, so what sort of birds do we see around here then that uh, that, that grab your attention? So we see um,
3: sort of mallee ringnecks, um, a lot of a bird of prey, so um, black kites,
1: whistling kites, nankeen kestrels. Well look, fantastic, look, um, thank you very much for this um, tour around the um, plant and And congratulations on this first project and good luck with everything that may follow. Thank you very much, Giles. Really appreciate the opportunity. And that was uh, Richard Payne, the CEO of uh, RayGen, and um, showing us around the... Car warp facility, um, Sophie. It's, it's good to see this technology come, come to fruit. I mean, I think you've been writing a fair few stories about it. They've had a um, had a pilot planned up near Bendigo. I mean, they've had so many different rounds of funding. Great promise from concentrated solar, but now putting it all together with low cost storage—quite um, um, an exciting, exciting development for for an Australian t- technology.
2: It is. It's really good to see it get to this point. It's been, it has been a long road. I feel. I do feel like I've been writing region stories. Uh, the whole time I've been at the new economy, which is a long time now. Um, but yes, it's, it's, uh, you know, it could be a really important piece of the puzzle. And it's great that these technologies are persisting.
1: No, look, that's right, yes. And it's probably congratulations to Arena as well because um, it's had five guys. It's been supporting this company for about 10 years and mm. they've had five different rounds of funding and now $38 million. So, um, look, sort of persistent pays and it's fantastic to see um, it get into this stage and we'll be watching with interest whether AGL go ahead with their 50-megawatt facility at Liddell or if indeed um, Photon can bring the 200-megawatt facility in South Australia to fruition um, but look elsewhere in the, um, in, the um, in the in the solar space. Um, Sophie, it was interesting to see the New South Wales government focus on consumer energy resources as part of the response to errouring. It seems like a lot of the solar experts and industry experts have been sort of having quiet words in the ear of the various ministers and premiers in New South Wales. Well, there's only one premier, but as far as I understand. Um, uh, about the benefits of of using you know this fantastic resource five gigawatts of uh, rooftop solar if you can orchestrate that you might be able to fill in a fair bit of the gap from Araring. Um but there just seems to be a renewed push across the board to sort of say hey we've got this fantastic asset let's let's use it
2: yes and it, it's, it as you say it is interesting and very reassuring that they're they're starting to look at that at New South Wales because I think these people have been you know like Gabrielle Kuyper, Trying very very hard to get the message across, and um, you know that we that yes, this is this incredible resource. It's there now. Um, it's it won't take all that much to. I mean, you know, it won't take b- building a whole new plant or uh, waiting for new technology to come online to, to harness it. So, so yes, it's uh, going to be a Im- very important part for New South Wales, and it's very. Uh, heartening to see them um, recognise that.
1: Yes, and it was quite sort of similar up in Queensland too. Um, I went to a, um, the Queensland Renewable Energy Expo and listened to the Deputy Premier and the, um, and the uh, Energy Minister also talking along similar lines. So there just seems to be a renewed focus on storage, particularly household storage, community storage, um and what have you and just all the sort of smart technologies and the various sort of ways that they can um, harness that um we've had a couple of other interesting stories this week sophie um one um an interesting interview from um from the ceo of bright and um also sort of a major milestone for solar bay can you give us a bit of a rundown about um what those were about
2: yeah so um rachel williamson spoke to the ceo of bright um and that was sort of talking about how important finance has been for the sort of ongoing rollout of solar for people who are sort of on the fence, I guess, uh, particularly with battery storage um, and how important it's been also to the government um, programs because Bright um, is the financier for the Tasmanian rebate or yeah, rebate program. And I think, I think in South Australia as well. Um, I c- can't quite remember which one, but yes. Yeah, so Bright's been there, and its specialty is is um, financing home loans for and usually zero interest for um, for home energy solutions. So that's been their focus for quite a long time, and it's it's good to see because it means that it can sort of. Remove one of the key barriers for a great deal of people, and get get more people onto solar, and and also maybe open the door for battery storage, which still remains sort of out of reach for most most of us, I think, but uh, could become increasingly important, as you were saying. And the the uh, solar bay is uh, in the commercial sector, which is really really important and really exciting, I think, because they have uh signed this huge five hundred million dollar deal to essentially roll out uh solar plants, you know, a big solar plant, fifty megawatt worth of solar, um, and three hundred megawatt hours of battery storage. So you've got a sort of collective big battery there across some of their 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 property commercial property portfolio, which includes the warehousing of some of the really big retailers. Uh, you know, I think Coles is among them and and so on, so this is really important, and they say that you know, as well as um sort of coordinating these big, huge energy uh demand um, you know th- these big sources of energy demand and 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 getting them with solar and behind the meter battery, they're also uh promising to possibly cut their bills in half, which is no small thing for a huge huge organization and then of course then there's the uh, emissions as well so it will look at uh, reducing their footprints
1: well look it's all pretty important because i think what the recognition now is um just with you know commercial and industry and also people don't necessarily have the cap- upfront capital to spend on rooftop solar or, or batteries a lot of these programs now focused on that and i think there's a realization um, amongst sort of state and federal governments, and I think it's all quite acute in New South Wales, where we've got this debate about a raring that to, to bring the sort of the people with them as they as 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 you would one would say, uh, it's important that they don't get affected and they can just sort of see their way through because. You know, the path, I mean, we know that renewables will eventually deliver the um, lower cost and, and cleanest uh, energy source, but it's going to be a rocky path to get there simply because of the market mechanisms, the lingering power of fossil fuels, and just, sort of, you know, the, the the upfront costs of the transition. So if households and businesses can see a way forward and see that they're actually not being impacted unfairly by this, and particularly people who are sort of less advantaged, then that's going to sort of, you know, provide the um, ongoing sort of support for for the transition. So I think that's pretty important. And I think it's really interesting that the um, that the government's are sort of realising that now. You know, rooftop solar is just not something that you kind of do to sort of, you know, oh, reduce your own bills, or or because you think it's a nice thing to do. It's actually quite a powerful um, resource. You know, it's, it's been kicking out coal. It's starting to kick out gas, but it's also provide that sort of support mechanism to get through um next transition so um that's pretty interesting
2: yes agreed and it's i think a really important time to to connect with as many regular people as we can as the governments can and as the industry can because as we have noted on the new economy there's a bit of uh silliness and disinformation going on well quite a lot of it actually and that's really ramping up to as part of that rocky road, I think so. Telling sort of the the good stories is really important.
1: And and, and talking about silliness, I mean we've we've heard a lot. Um, we're quite kind of used to us with with wind turbines and things like that, and um, all sorts of impacts, and the fact that they don't spin without having a coal fired generator behind them, and things like that, and all sorts of nonsense, which gets an amazing amount of traction. But you came across this wonderful story, or just an appalling story, really. About a, um, a a giant solar farm proposed near Gladstone, which is the sort of the um, the coal and gas you know capital of um, of Queensland, um, and this particular solar farm is seventy kilometres from the coast. But um, the Murdoch media is claiming that the runoff from the solar panels will damage the Great Barrier Reef.
2: Yes, solar, seventy kilometres. Solar away. slurry. In case you hadn't heard of that phenomenon.
1: <laughs> a solar slurry. Solar slurry. Already. <laughs> I, I, I've made that word
2: up, but. Honestly, that's sort of what they're conjuring with this ridiculous story, Um, you know, and it it all originates from one, you know, disgruntled farmer calling into 2GB and all of a sudden you've got these ridiculous headlines that the country's biggest solar farm is essentially gonna be right next to to the reef and oh my God, and um, as I, as I, pointed out in a story, it's particularly ridiculous when you consider, you know, that Gladstone is this industrial hub and it has, you know, quite a lot of uh, environmental
1: well, they've, yeah. they've, they've been spending the last couple of years just dredging the bloody yeah. port just to sort of, you know, it's yeah. so, so big, bigger coal. Yeah, unbelievable, and and that's um yes, absolutely, and and not not to mention sort of you know the the issue about sort of runoff from sugarcane crops and and other things there, which has been sort of largely largely controlled, and although people are starting to think a bit more seriously about that. Anyway, look, it's just look, like just silly. an example of the stupidity. Uh, yeah. Yes,
0: but
2: uh, yeah. I think sometimes it's important to call it out because it does get in people's heads. And it, I think what frustrates me is this latest real push from the anti-renewable side is this angle of, oh, everyone says renewables are so great for the environment, but look, you know. <laughs> and of course there are strict environmental rules that all projects have to follow, any development project and any you know manufacturing facility, anything uh, obviously that's very very important uh, and it applies to everyone but to make these claims uh, when we are facing a climate crisis is just very very frustrating
1: um yes yeah, it's a major piss-off yeah. um, <laughs> really, yes to sort of you know to, to get brutal about it um yeah. so watch out for the solar slurry people if you are walking yeah. on these rooftop mm-hmm. solar panels maybe maybe wear some protective clothing yeah. um, running, um, down wet-
2: running down your gutters as we speak <laughs>
1: As we speak, oh, that's a shocking thing. Um, look, on that note, um, I think we'll um, we'll, we'll, I think we'll, call it, we'll call it an episode. We won't call it a day. We'll call it an episode. Um, Sophie, thank you very much for joining us again um, this week. Um, thanks also um, for Richard Payne for um, walking us through the Car Warp um, facility, solar and storage facility, and good luck with that project. Um, thanks also to... Our sponsors, and thanks to everybody out there. And um, do check out our other programs, um, our podcasts, uh, Energy Insiders, The Driven, and a fantastic series of interviews on our Switched On podcast, which is sort of focusing on electrification. And there's been some really good ones in the last couple of weeks. Particularly um, Peter Newman from Curtin University, just giving a wonderful explanation about the transition and some of the opportunities and how we can get there. And an interesting interview also with Ragu Bilal who's the sort of the founder and the, the brand behind Enphase Energy so do check them out and there's some other great podcasts there as well and if you do need to find out anything about electrification then please go there. Um, Thanks very much and that's all for Solar Insiders in this episode and we'll be back again very soon. Bye for now.
0: Solar Insiders was brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use solar design software for installers and retailers, with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly costs and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by NextTracker, delivering some of the highest-performing solar assets in the country. Like a sunflower follows the sun, NextTracker's market-leading solar solutions deliver optimal return on investment for utility solar farms in Australia. Check out their flagship NX Horizon Smart Solar Tracker, their intelligent optimisation software and the industry's most advanced terrain-following solar tracking technology, NX Horizon XTR.